Welcome to Rejected by New York Comic Con, a My Comic Shop History Special. I am your host, Anthony Desiato, a.k.a. The Reject of New York Comic Con. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in there. I'm not going to take that out. And joining me for this episode is a very special guest. He is one of the cast members and producers of My Comic Shop Country, the manager of Acme Comics in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the internet personality known as Lord Retail. But most importantly, he's my friend, and I'm very excited to welcome back to the show, Jermaine Exum. I am very, uh, very happy to be back on the show, and I'm excited to talk to you in general because I haven't talked to you in a while. It has been a while. I know we do text, but it's been a while since we've, we've actually had uh, any other type of conversation. And of course, due to the pandemic and the, uh, the geography between us, we are not in the same space, but we are video chatting. Uh, listeners won't see our video chat. They'll just hear our conversation, but I can see you and it's great to see you. I'm wearing an amazing hat today and nobody's seeing it. I know. Well, you are known for your fedoras, so I'm, I'm not surprised to, uh, to see you sporting the hat that you're wearing at the moment. I've even got a new pen. It's a, uh, it's a, like a judge dread, like uh, a pen, but it says Judy on it for judge Judy. <laughs> Only one person's noticed that today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, I, I've really, really been looking forward to this. This is, this is the first episode of my comic shop history since May. Uh, so it's, it's been a while. I'm, I'm happy to be back behind the microphone to be doing one of these episodes, to be doing it with you. And, I know everyone wants me to ask you about comics in the time of COVID and DC dropping Diamond and DC laying off its staff and DC cutting back its line of comics and, and all that stuff. And we'll get to that. But I want to start with, honestly, the most important question, and I mean it sincerely. And, and the question is, how are you uh, <laughs> during all of this? Because I know, you know, for everyone, these, this has been an exceptionally difficult time. And, you know, I know you're you know, you're around people during the day, your coworkers and employees at the store and customers. And as much as I know you have friendships with a lot of these people, it's still in the, in the realm of, you know, a, a transactional space. Right. And then, you know, where you're Lord retail rules, yes. and then, you know, you go home and it's Jermaine. And so I, I want to know how Jermaine is doing. You know, that's one of the most frequently asked questions, uh, other than, you know, how's the store doing? What's up with DC and how are you doing? So I don't know if I'm like exuding something where people are compelled to ask me how I'm doing. I don't know, but I get that one an awful lot. Like daily I get a, Hey, um, how, how, how are you doing? So the concern is appreciated. The concern is appreciated. Um, it's been weird times. I gotta be honest. It's, it's been weird times. Um, the passage of time is just odd right now because the world that I occupy is so very structured as far as new releases on this day, selling stuff on that day. You see this person on this particular day, you receive stuff on this other day, new stuff goes out again. I mean, you had that period of time where nothing was flowing and the store was non-essential closed where there's just a block of time that I can't really account for. What was it a couple of weeks? Was it a couple of months? It's almost like that, that, uh, that last new book day in March just slammed up against the next new book day, which I don't remember quite when things began flowing again. I guess it was maybe what, two months ago, I guess it's like that period of time just slammed together 
there was stuff that happened in between there, but it, it's just all, you know, at, at risk of sounding a cliche, it was almost like some sort of crisis uh, in DC Comics terms. Some sort of crisis had occurred where stuff changed and, and uh, time changed. It, it, it was weird. But as far as me personally, um, I go to work, every, not every day. I'm still taking Mondays off, which is fantastic, taking Mondays off. Um, I very rarely, I don't think this year once I've taken any work home with me. Now, there's still work I'll do from home. Like, I might update the website from home. If I just can't get to it um, at the store, I might do that much. But I've not taken any work home this year. And for me, that's kind of a thing. That's a big step. But otherwise... I go to work. I might pick up something at Target maybe every two or three weeks. I might go to Walgreens for something. Um, might get groceries. I don't really... We have like a movie group of like maybe four or five other people that gets together at the store. Socially distanced because the store has plenty of room. So that's the place we do it. And um, you'll watch a movie every couple of weeks. But... Other than that, it is a little weird for me because I do see a lot of people during the day in a store capacity, but otherwise, I was somewhere the other day. I don't know if it was Walmart or someplace where I normally wouldn't be. I was at I was at a park the other day. I was outdoors during the day in a park, and there was a lot of people out there, and I was like, this is a lot of people. I'm not used to seeing this many people. It was a little disorienting from me, or for me, rather. I can uh, I can 100% identify with that last piece because uh, one of the things uh, that has occurred for me since the last episode was that my family and I moved and we're in a different state now, just one state over, but uh, we had to get new uh, driver's licenses. And so my wife and I went to the DMV today and it was stressful just being in a confi- you know in a in an enclosed space with other people. Uh, everyone was masked and distanced and there was plexiglass between us and the, and the staff people there. So I felt as safe as one could feel, I suppose, but it was very, very odd to your point of just being around that many people again. Cause really, I mean, again, we go outside, we go for walks, we pass by people, but we're not, you know, we're not in any space and certainly never an enclosed space where it's that many people. It was weird. In the store, we early on we tried to keep a uh, keep a certain number of people in here as far as the number that we're comfortable with, where we think people can have plenty of space amongst themselves. So even that, it's going to be maybe maybe ten people. You know, we don't you obviously can't split up a family of people, so it might be maybe twelve people across the entirety of the store. Other than that, I might go. You know, Aldi's is my grocery store of choice, and there's never a lot of people in there. So that's like the largest volume of people I'm really seeing. So the, the park the other day, seeing just people being outdoors, I, I was hadn't really seen that in months. I, I didn't realize it'd been months. I, re, I remember there was a point where I would still have my mask on at home, and I don't. It's just me. There's nobody but me, and I'm like, oh no, I got. I let my mask slip. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? Um, so just little things, just just little little things that. Uh, let us know that uh, we need to be checked in on. No, I, I completely understand. And, you know, I know you said at the beginning that, you know, you've been getting that sort of that same round of questions from other people. And uh, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad people are checking in with you. I'm glad people are asking. And I'm not I just don't know if I'm showing something outwardly where uh, <laughs> I don't know. 
I, I, maybe everyone's checking in on everybody. I don't think that's the case. So it's appreciated uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I'm not there physically, but, you know, with your customers and, and, and you know, the people at, at the store in particular, you know, I've seen the Acme community in action. And so I think their concern for you uh, is an example of that community. And but I also think, you know, the position that you serve, that you occupy at the store, you know, you're running the ship, you're kind of directing others, you're the one making sure people get their books, you know, every Wednesday, despite everything going on. And, and I think it's, it's, I mean, it's nice to hear. It's not, it's not an automatic for sure. I could see plenty of people who would just kind of take that for granted, but especially knowing the type of, of community that you have at Acme, um, I think it, I think it makes sense that they, they would be concerned enough, you know, to, to just want to check in with you because they know you're looking after them. And so they, you know, there's kind of that reciprocity there. I, so I don't, I don't, I would suspect it's not that you're giving off anything, but I think it's the, it's, uh, you know, representative of the type of relationships that you guys have at the store. Like if I go for too long without making some sort of Instagram story, somebody is going to say, Hey, you okay? You haven't seen any comics or any food from you or anything <laughs> on your Instagram. Are you all right? So yeah, well, it, th- these times they reflect differently in different people. Everyone is going through something and it looks different on everybody. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of social media, do you get similar queries if you if you let a Tuesday go by where you don't do your uh, Tuesday night reviews of the new books? I know you've been you've been very diligent with that, but if if you miss a week, you do you hear about it? I don't think I've ever actually missed a week outside of if the delivery from Diamond is delayed for who knows what reason, then I have no choice. I really feel like I've let people down when that happens. That's happened a few times this year as recently as I believe this week where we just got the material on Wednesday morning and had to do the entire processing on Wednesday. And we actually got everything done in about two hours and on the shelf. But that meant I had read nothing. I had no insights beyond the obvious as far as this is part two of the story or this is by this creator. So got to follow your instincts. But otherwise I don't think I've intentionally missed. I think when I went to San Diego comic-con, I think I had to miss a, uh, a Wednesday. But other than that, I'm pretty diligent about it. And if, if I can't do it, there are plenty of other stores out there that do something, you know, a a variant edition in Canada. There's other stores that do something similar where it's not just me out there doing it. Fortunately, it's not just me on Tuesdays. There's some store somewhere that's giving people some insights. No, fair enough. And, uh, you know, I know we talked about your Tuesday night reviews when you were first on the show a few years ago now. Uh, but for anyone who doesn't follow Lord Retail on Twitter, uh, I certainly you know encourage you to. And, and as we're as we've been discussing, you know, Jermaine does these Tuesday night reviews of of the new books each week, uh, and I think it's it's a great service to you know your your own customers, but also to you know people in other parts of the country and to other retailers as well to kind of get these you know these quick bites of uh, you know of what the you know what's in store for them that week. So I think that's very cool. I know we've also spoken about this. Germain slash Lord Retail divide, like where that line is and how you navigate that line. And this might be kind of a silly question, but you, you mentioned the mask and, uh, and, you know, going home and kind of forgetting that you still had the mask on. Does, does the mask just say it, just say it. No, I mean, well, I mean, you know, we're comic book fans. We read character, we read stories about masked characters. And I'm just curious, does the mask further, 
further solidify that line between Jermaine and Lord Retail in any sense? You know, I, I, I've jokingly told people that if you're saying anyone that comes in the store and they have some sort of issue wearing a mask, and that's very rare, but every now and then it happens, I don't joke around with those people at all. But every now and then I'll say, you know, as comic book fans, we waited a lifetime to be able to wear a mask out of the world. And it's not, it's not a thing. You're not, uh, you know, being, being looked upon. But uh, I don't know. Lord, Lord Retail is something I can very easily slip into and I just, just stay there. I can slip into it and be in that mode indefinitely. So it does, it does happen. It, it still happens to, to a degree. Again, I'm not taking work home with me. And I noticed that the other day. I actually noticed I could do that, but I'm not doing that. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are able to strike that balance for yourself. And I know, like I know for myself, and I'm sure there are other people listening to this who, you know, have been working remotely and can identify because uh, I'll be perfectly honest. Generally speaking, I actually really like working from home. Uh, the flexibility that it provides, the fact that I've been able to, you know, spend all this extra time, you know, with our son, like it's it's been an unexpected blessing in the midst of uh, an awful situation. But uh, I do find for myself, like it is kind of harder to kind of unplug. And so I'll find I'm answering work emails at all hours. Whereas in the past, when I worked at the office from nine to five, like when I came home at night, unless it was something really urgent, you know, if an email came through at eight o'clock, I would say, well, I'll get to it in the morning. Whereas now I'm just kind of like, it's, I don't really have as much of that, uh, that separation, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you've at least been able to, you know, not have to take the stuff home with you as much. Because I think especially that you you are still at the store for those set hours and you're having the interactions and you're plugged in in that way. I think it's great that you can you can have that separation. Now, that being said, I will still check an email at 3 a.m. If I'm up, I, I hit the refresh button. I'm, I'm not yes. that big of a person. I'm not doing that. But I, I do still have that structure. And I've noticed for some people working from home. They are, you know, working on their comic book collection. They're getting stuff sorted. Maybe they're catching up and they're reading some more. But there's also a certain structure that's gone, especially people that have kids in that you're working from home. Your kids are able to see you, that you're right there. So let's, you know, interact the way we normally do. But you were, you were in work mode mindset. And there's, there's just a lot of things that are going on for some people working from home. You know, I think that some people they're working from home, but they're also absorbing this like 24 hour news cycle. They're, they're, they're spiraling down YouTube or Facebook, you know, they're doing the work from home, but they're also kind of just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And, and I get kind of concerned about that. I think it's important for people to set their boundaries. If I'm at work from this point to this point, I'm taking a lunch break at this point. I'm getting some fresh air at this point. There has to still be some type of structure because working from home can be very, it can be vague and it can be something that uh, kind of gets away from you. Well said. Well said. On a, a lighter note, maybe, I want to address the title of this podcast special, Rejected by New York Comic Con. Now, lest anyone think that this is pessimistic or antagonistic or anything like that, it, it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek. But I was, in fact, I, I did submit a, a panel to New York Comic Con. I submitted this in the winter. I mean, I submitted it literally the first day panel submissions were open. So this was before the pandemic. This was before, you know, we knew that it was going to be a virtual event. But I submitted a, a panel on comics retail. 
And uh, and then, of course, in the interim, uh, New York Comic Con went from its traditional event to a virtual one. Uh, but unfortunately, the panel that I submitted was was rejected. Hence the title of this, because I, you know, I posted on Facebook that the panel wasn't <laughs> wasn't going forward. And, and a bunch of people, including yourself, and I appreciated this very much. A bunch of people were like, oh, like, you know, sorry to hear that or their loss or whatever. And. You know, I just wanted to, to stress, you know, uh, while I was disappointed, I wasn't really as, I wasn't heartbroken and I wasn't as frustrated as maybe some people thought. Uh, like my post really was meant uh, more playful because to be honest, I've been rejected by them a lot. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's the sort of thing where it's not that I don't care, but it, it does honestly, and I, I think this is ultimately a good thing, I suppose. It does kind of roll off my back at this point. I had one one bit of success with Reed Pop with C2E2 a couple of years ago. I moderated a panel at their Chicago show. But New York Comic Con has remained a nut that I, I cannot crack. And the only thing that disappoints me is I felt that this year I all of the ingredients were kind of there, right? My Comic Shop Country documentary came out. Again, at the time, I didn't know this, but, you know, during the pandemic, you know, comic shops were in national news. You know, I mean, there were reports on comic shops and, and the comics retail industry and the New York Times and Hollywood Reporter and all over the place. And on top of that, and I don't think I've, I don't know if I've even ever told you this, and I've definitely not talked about it on the podcast, but one of the panelists I had lined up for this, and I included it in this submission, was Mark Wade, who I thought would have been a great you know, as a, as a retailer and creator, and he's worn so many hats in the industry and he's in the documentary. I figured with, with all of those ingredients, uh, this was kind of the best shot that I was going to have. And so where the disappointment comes in is if I couldn't get a panel through this year, it's like, I don't, I don't know what, what luck I would have in the future. So, but hence, hence ultimately what happened was I, uh, you know, I put up this post saying that the, that the panel wasn't happening. And uh, I think in one of my comments or my responses to someone's comment, I joked like, well, I'm going to put out a rejected by special. And then it, overnight, I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? Why not do it? Like, why not turn this into something positive and fun and creative and put out this episode that I wasn't planning to put out and we'll, we'll make a fun thing out of it. So that's how we got here. I, I've never attended New York Comic Con. I don't know the inner workings of it. I've had no desire to attend New York Comic Con. Um it just didn't sound like a fun experience to me in the way that San Diego Comic Con could be a fun experience in that you can, there's a multitude of other things you can do at San Diego Comic Con if you're not in that building. But I've kind of heard at New York Comic Con, if you're not in the building, I guess you're just on the waterfront. I, I don't really know how, how it works or anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, that's odd, especially in a time when they need content. And if you were the, vehicle through which someone like Mark Wade could be made available as part of that content. It's a little, little odd. So I don't know if there'll be other panels, like how to, how to remove Marvel value stamps from your Hulk 181 or just weird stuff where you're going to look at the panel options. You're going to say, all right, come on guys. Come on. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much. No one likes to attempt to do something and it doesn't go through, you know, uh, we, we've been nominated for the, Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailing Award so many times. I do not remember how many times it's been. It could be 10 years in a 10 years could be 11 years, not necessarily sequential, but it's been a number of times where I don't remember how many times it is and we've never won, but it's an honor to be nominated and we stay in the conversation. So 
No, this is all true. I mean, no, I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, Repop's a business and I think a smart one. They've been successful. So presumably they're selecting panels that they know or they think they know will be of interest to their attendees. And I assume they base this on surveys and attendance at, at other years' panels and social media engagement and, and things like that. So, you know, I, again, you know, perhaps they just, you know, they didn't think this would be, you know, uh, appealing. And, you know, obviously I can't answer that. I did. Uh, so we're recording this just a few days before the episode will go live on, on October 7th. And uh, just last night or the night before, I, I did check to see what panels were going to be uh, uh-huh. at the virtual event because I was curious and sort of the question I had was, you know, are they going to cover comics retail in another way with someone else, which honestly is perfectly fine, you know, uh, as much as, you know, I would love to be the person to do it at the same time as someone who has, you know, and remains in the corner of, of comic shops, you know, I, I want the shops to, you know, to be represented, even if I'm not the one doing it. Guess how many comics retail panels there are, Jermaine, at the New York Comic Con virtual metaverse? I would say negative one. <laughs> yeah. So I, the one the one qualifier is that they they are having these retailer roundtables. So there is programming for retailers. But unless I missed it, I'll off, I'll issue that little disclaimer in case I missed it. But I don't think I did. There were not any uh, any panels. Uh, that, that specifically deal with, with comics retail. There was a lot, you know, there were obviously some, some comic centric ones, but a lot dealing with TV shows and movies and things like that as, you know, as you would kind of expect, I think from some of these larger shows at this point. That's another symptom of a weird disconnect between we love comic books. We love these characters. There's a place that you can go to and get these characters and get new stories and be able to just absorb all the stuff with these characters. There's a place you can go to called your local comic shop. There's this weird disconnect that you would assume wouldn't be there, but it's still there. Cause that's what I actually wanted to ask you that. Believe me, that was not all just about me venting. It was a little bit of that. <laughs> Mostly that was about, I wanted to get to that point of, you know, kind of addressing this fact that, uh, you know, again, yeah, it wasn't the fact that there's someone else doing a comics retail panel. There just isn't any comics retail panel. And as a retailer of, an Eisner, not a 10 time Eisner nominated store. I mean, and I know you've already addressed that a little bit, but I mean, how does that make you feel like, is there any, what you just, what you just expressed about this disconnect, does it frustrate you? Is it something that you've kind of come to accept? Like, where do you land on that? We're in a very unique position at Atme Comics. We really are. We've been open since 1983. Um, we're very well known in the community for, we're known beyond the community so we're not quite the same as a newer store or a smaller store that's out there really trying their best to represent you know comic books and trying their very best so it's, it's a little different what's going on here but at the same time I do think that the comics industry all the publishers could stand to remind the public of basics remind the public that new stories come out with their characters once a week. And you can go to the local comic book store. Just something as simple and basic as that. Sometimes you really have to go back to basics and make sure that people understand certain things. 
That's why, you know, we have certain signage around the store, like this week's comics. Sometimes you need to be clear about that. Don't assume that everybody knows how, how everything works. Sometimes you have to be very clear about stuff. And I would like to see a reinvestment with the comic book industry in the comic book store. Sometimes a comic book store is a weird place. Sometimes a comic book store isn't cool. Sometimes they don't carry the stuff. Sometimes they don't pull the comics they're supposed to pull for you. But when the comic book store functions properly, it is an amazing and unique place. There's no place else like it that you can go to. There just isn't. I could not agree more. And, you know, it's been really interesting in the these months now since the documentary came out. I've had numerous people reach out on social media and express some version of, wow, I really had no idea X. And that X could be the fact that, you know, retailers order books on a non-returnable basis, that there's so much to choose from, that delinquent customers are an issue, like all this stuff. So to your point, you know, as far as kind of uh, just reminding people or, or maybe, you know, letting them know about it in the first place. Because, you know, in some cases, I think people just really don't know. It's not even a matter of forgetting. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it would, and I, certainly from your perspective as a retailer, I could hundred percent understand why, you know, you would, you would want to see some kind of push for that. I don't want to put words in your mouth and I will get to this. A big piece of what I want to kind of cover in this episode is I feel like we're kind of going in a different direction in terms of some recent developments. And I want to get into that and I want to, you know, get your take uh, on all of this. And I'm gen, I mean, there's a lot that I'm really genuinely curious as much as I've been following articles in the beat or CBR or whatever. Uh, you know, I really want to hear from you about what it's been like on the ground over these past few months, but on a happy note, again, we really want to, I want to try to balance out this episode as much as possible. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be, it goes so, where it goes, it goes, it where goes, it goes. but, uh, you know, I've been mentioning the documentary and, uh, very recently you texted me that you finally watched. And I say, finally, when I, when I was on your podcast, Acme cast a few months ago, around the time that the documentary came out, we had a whole conversation about how you hadn't watched because you had access to the movie, you know, well in advance of, of its actual, well release. in advance, well in advance. And you had, you didn't watch and I did not take it personally. And you had reasons, you know, having to do with, you know, watching yourself and all of that. And that was, and I understood and it was perfectly fine. And I knew in time in your own time, you would you would eventually get around to it, and you did. What what finally brought this brought this about? I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was the the Blu-ray just sort of staring at me from my entertainment center, and, it, and we just sort of met eyes, and it was time to uh, time to watch. Or I'd watched everything else that I had access to. Um, but yeah, I decided it was time because even when. It comes to our own podcast, the Acme cast. I have to have a period of time pass before I can hear my own voice. So you can imagine I need to let some time pass and remove myself from the content before I can like watch myself on a thing. You know, I have to kind of be far enough removed where I'm looking at this thing and I'm almost saying to myself, wow, I don't, I don't even remember recording that. When did that happen? Wow. This is like new to me. And I think enough time had passed for, for me to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I will sum it up as saying that even for me personally, having been a comic shop retailer for 25 years, as of I think two weeks ago, two weeks ago, it was 24 years, excuse me, 24 years technically on the books. Congratulations. I've been here a long Appreciate it. But after watching your movie, I felt like I wanted to go to a comic book store, even though I just came from one earlier that day. You know, it, it would really make me want to 
go to the comic book store and kind of see what's going on. What are people talking about? And do they still offer this character? Is that creator still doing something? And if it made me feel that way, then I really think that surely it had an impact on others that maybe hadn't been to a comic book store in a long time. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've heard, you know, people in, in reaching out, especially on social media, I've heard, uh, again, variations of that. Like, Hey, this makes me want to go back to my store or, you know, maybe they're in an area where they haven't explored the shops yet. And, and it kind of gave them that push, you know, unfortunately the, you know, the, the movie ended up coming out right as everything was shutting down, but, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, all of those people are, are, are doing that and they're checking out either returning to old stores or checking out new ones. Have you had, have you had any new people come into the store who have mentioned the movie? I'm just curious. Um, there have been people and, and again, everyone's wearing masks. So I, regular customers who are masked, I can read their body language for the most part, or, you know, they'll have glasses or they'll, there'll be something that lets me know instantly. I know who this person is but there will be people I don't know who they are and they're masked. And I've had people come in and mention having seen the movie and I, I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. And they won't, they won't lead with that. They'll kind of be in here for a while and then they'll, you know, indicate that they watched the movie and they thought it was really good. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, that's very nice. It's great to hear that. It's so, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I worked at alternate realities for many years and now you know, obviously the store is not there anymore. But uh, even, you know, even prior to its closing, I wasn't working there, certainly not on any regular basis for its last few years. Um, but it was in those last few years that I started making documentaries and doing the podcast. And it's like, I wish that the store, you know, I, I wish that I had been in a situation where I was working on all of this stuff and actually could talk to people in person who had seen or listened to it. It's like, it was right after I stopped working there that I started doing all of this stuff. Cause uh, you know, as much as, you know, I love hearing from people on social media and that's great uh, you know, to, you know, have someone pop into the store and you know, they, they, they watch something or they listen like that would be really cool. But so it was funny how, how the timing worked out on that, but um, uh, that's great to hear. And uh, I appreciate you watching. I appreciate, you know, all of your contributions to the film. And it's funny, when I announced you as the guest for this special, I know you saw that there were a couple of comments on the Facebook post of people really being excited that you were going to be the guest. And they specifically cited that they enjoyed you in the movie. That's got to be nice. It's, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's just me. But on the other, other hand, you know, Lord Retail has some type of, uh, some type of, uh, reach and, and legs that I don't have, even though I'm the same person, but, uh, yeah, it, it's like, I was watching the documentary and I was like, Oh, that store is cool. I, you know, I wish I could shop at that store or there'd be other places where it's like, wow, that store is completely different from, uh, from how we do things here. And there were interesting angles and, uh, strings that you would pull on. You know, I can only imagine how much is on the cutting room floor though, of things where you had to make a choice. Like, I would love to explore this, but we need to focus on this other thing here. Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, trying to kind of keep the heart of of the narrative intact and not go on too many detours and stuff like that was was definitely a challenge because there was a lot. But um, uh, but again, uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that you had that reaction watching it that it was a positive one. <laughs> um, I'm curious, was there anything? I guess particularly in what I used of you or people's commentary of you, was there anything that like really surprised you 
Um, I was surprised that my beard was completely out of control. <laughs> my, my beard was I'm like, what's going on? Why didn't somebody say something? But, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of things going on at that time. And that's just, uh, again, things reflect differently in different people. And that was, uh, what was going on for me, I guess. Needless to say, that whole situation is under better control now, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I never, uh, hearing anybody else like say anything about me. It's like, you know, I, I definitely have imposter syndrome. You know, that's a word that I didn't have accessible to me. Other times we talked, at least I don't think I mentioned that where it's this condition where you feel like, you know, you're not good at anything and, and people are giving you compliments, but you're like, I don't, I don't deserve compliments. It's just a super weird thing. It is not helpful at all. And it comes and goes sometimes. I'm fine. Sometimes I'm like, yes, we're going to rule the world this weekend. And other times I have that thing where it's like, eh, eh. no, I understand. I mean, I think that's something that, uh, that, you know, a lot of us deal with in some way, shape or form. So I, you know, yeah. I completely understand. I'm happy to finally have the opportunity. There's one, there's one bit in the movie that I, I really want to ask you about. So we have some commentary in the film from some folks who know you. In particular, uh, Chris Giarusso, comic book artist who, who now uh, is based out of Greensboro. And uh, Austin, your assistant manager at the store, they both talk about how, how vague and cryptic you can be sometimes. And there was this bit of footage I had that I didn't really think I'd be able to do anything with. But then I was going through all, I was going through all the interviews and I had uh, their sound bites talking about how cryptic you are. And all of a sudden... It clicked, and I said, ooh, I know what I can do. <laughs> and the version that you have is, it, it works, I think. Um, but in the final cut, the version that's out on, on Apple TV and Amazon, uh, I was able to, I think, really hit the beats exactly the way I needed to. I tweaked just a little bit in terms of timing and the text that was on the screen. But what you saw represents the, the heart of what's there. But basically, you know, I filmed at Acme during the uh, midnight release of Action Comics 1000. And there's this bit with you and, and the guys at the store right before you go out to greet the customers. And I ask you, how many copies of Action 1000 did you order? And you go on, and it, this didn't all make it into the movie, but you went on for minutes, which, you know, in screen time is an eternity. You went on for minutes talking about how difficult it was deciding how to order, but you never actually gave me the number. And now my question is, because I feel like it's one of two things, either you did It is one of two things. <laughs> it is one of two things. Either you didn't want to put the hard number out there, which is perfectly fine, and so you know, you sort of took the question in, in, in your own direction or you intended to get to the number, but you got so caught up in what you were talking about that you, you lost sight of, of the original intended destination. Which one was it? So part of all of this is that you don't really want to ever put hard numbers out in the world, you know, to, to, uh, to quote the Godfather, you never let the other guy know what you're thinking. And there's always that element. Now, you know, sometimes I will, if it's just like one-on-one -on -one, or if it's like another retailer, sometimes I might do that, but it's my default setting to not do that. And the other thing that it probably actually was is I could not remember. No clue what those numbers were. None. <laughs> so I had to stall for time. <laughs> Well, I, you, it was a, it, you, you did a great job of, of, of doing that. 
And then we did actually have Austin reveal the number, which now that you just shared what you did, I'm sorry that uh, I, I, I divulged that information on, on, uh, in the movie. Although it's been a couple of years now since the, the issue came out. So hopefully, you know, it's, it's okay that the information is out there now. Because it's always like, oh, is that number too low or is that number like crazy high? It's like you don't want to show your hand first, you know. So that, that's still an element of it. But I, I genuinely believe that more than likely I had no idea what that number was. <laughs> I was hoping that someone else would interject after, you know, I, I was just stretching, stretching, stretching. And it didn't happen no, until they, later. They just let you twist in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> People let me get away with a lot of weird stuff. So hopefully I don't, you know, uh, abuse my credibility too much. I feel like I don't. And I also, there's an element, I don't like spoilers. I don't like to spoil a thing for anybody. I don't like to ruin a comic book. I don't like to ruin a movie. So maybe when it comes to myself, I don't, I'm just like, I'm not revealing anything about myself either. Maybe that I can't control like the, uh, the spoiler blockade and it applies to, uh, to everything. It applies to everything. Maybe that's what it is. That'd be something. No, listen, that makes a lot of sense. And this was actually one of the things I wanted to touch on and, and not to psychoanalyze you, but you know, you've described yourself to me as a hostile witness uh, in the context of interviewing you on the podcast and the documentary. And then, you know, these other people have described, described you as, as cryptic. And I was really giving this thought and and again, not to psychoanalyze you. And as much as I've gotten to know you, I'm, I'm not an, I'm not a germane expert. So if I'm off base on anything, you know, uh, I, I, I retract it. But um, to me, I think as I've gotten to know you, I think it stems from a couple of things. I think it stems from thoughtfulness. Like, again, I definitely don't, wouldn't describe you as a hostile witness. As the interviewer, as the documentarian, like you gave me so much great stuff and I didn't have to pull it out of you in most cases. I felt and, like you did. I, I really felt like you did the whole thing. I mean, I didn't. And honestly, even in the instance where you didn't give me the specific thing I asked for, you gave me something even better. You gave me a funny bit. So, you know, it's all good. But I think that, you know, what you might describe as being a hostile witness or they might describe as being cryptic. I think it's um, I think it's a thoughtfulness. Like, I mean, you don't strike me as someone who verbally is just going to like shoot from the hip and then, you know, figure out well, it'll be OK. It's like I, I think you take time in crafting what you're going to put out there. And I don't know if you've always been like that or if that's something that's, you know, uh, kind of developed more recently or developed over over time. Uh, and then I would have to imagine, going back to what you were saying about spoilers, I think, you know, there and we've you know, this has come up on the show, right? There's this element of showmanship in being a, a retailer. You're holding court, you're selling people on comics, right? And, you know, you're and we see this in the movie, like you we literally have bits of you you know, describing, you know, comics to certain people and, and really giving them enough that they're going to be intrigued, but not so much that you ruin the experience for them. And I feel like that mindset probably extends to, you know, to, to other types of conversations that you're having. I feel like it, it just kind of gets, you know, ingrained. I mean, does this, am I, am I on track or am I off base? I think that that's a part of the way I communicate. I think that's a part of the way that I communicate. You know, uh, showmanship is a thing. Salesmanship is a thing, you know, and that's not something that everybody can do. But, uh, you know, I want to give a customer enough information where they can make a decision about what they want to do. Now, me saying, you know, here's everything that happens. That's that's not it. That, that's not the experience. That's not the process. But uh, I think maybe that's just how I communicate. Uh, that would be I'm sure it's frustrating for nearly everyone. But uh that's just how it is. That, that's uh, 
that, that's how it works when you choose to interact with me. <laughs> hey man, it works for me. I don't know, Austin and Jerusa, I don't know for them, but for me it works. <laughs> Something happened today where I had a thought, I had an idea, but I wanted to wait until all the staff was in the same room together, which is not, you know, everybody's working on different things, maybe going to get lunch. So getting us all together in the same spot and also not having any customers in the store to, you know, like for 90 seconds, discuss a thing that can't come together instantaneously. So I kind of said, you know, to, to one guy, I say to Ben, Hey, got a thing I want to go over. Not right now. I'm going to wait till we're all here. Um, can't do it now. Cause you know, there's a customer coming in. We'll come back to it later. And all it was from my point of view is I wanted to kind of ask everybody, should we put out these back issues at the same time as we put out these action figures like weeks from now? <laughs> and in their minds, they're like, okay, DEFCON 5, this is red alert, like something crazy is happening. And when I told them what it actually was, they were all like, well, I thought this was going on. I thought this was happening. I'm like, I didn't, I hope I didn't present that way, but they said that <laughs> I presented it in a way that someone would say, okay, we need to talk in relationship terms. Like a, we, we need to talk text is how I came across. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I might be with them on this one. <laughs> didn't mean to do that. I just wanted to, you know, before things happen in the comic book store where if I don't say something, four other things will happen and I don't remember that initial thought. So I need to put it out there. Since we have a chance, since all four of us together want to go over a thing, you know, we'll, we'll discuss all four of us and then see where we're at. No, I understand. Listen, let's take a quick commercial break. And then after the break, uh, I want to talk about comics in the time of COVID and how you've navigated uh, the various changes, uh, especially the ones initiated by DC Comics over these past few months. Uh, so we will be right back, literally, in just a minute. We'll be right back to the action in a moment. But first, a word about our sponsors. Submissions are now open for the March season of the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, New Jersey. Visit filmfreeway.com to submit your film now. Also, be sure to listen to the podcast hosted by the festival's organizer, C.J. Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. I also have one more special shout out. Uh, it's a new project by my buddy Frank Martin. He's a a former customer of alternate realities and he's a comic book writer now uh, he's been on the show before actually a couple years ago and uh, he has a new project called the macabre motel it's a 28 page horror one shot that embraces the weird and bizarre it follows a man named steve based on steve odo i don't know no i'm just kidding it follows a man named steve on his way to meet his girlfriend's family for the first time things don't go quite as planned though when he stops to rest at a motel with an eclectic group of guests who aren't so inclined to see him leave. The book is currently funding on Kickstarter until October 28th and will be perfect for a little Halloween reading. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Uh, Frank's a great guy uh, and a very talented writer. And uh, again, it sounds like this will be a lot of fun for Halloween. All right, my friend, we're back. And I've been trying to think about like, what is the best way to approach 
uh, a discussion of what's been going on over the past few months. I, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get so bogged down in laying out the timeline of all of this because uh, I think there are more important aspects of this for us to discuss. Um, you know, I, so I was sort of, uh, you know, more of an observer during this period. You know, I was reading articles on CBR and the beat and, you know, I checked in with you and a couple of the other retailers I know at various points. But uh, again, I was really more of a bystander. But, uh, you know, when we talk about developments, uh, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the, the some of the, you know, the immediate ones that come to mind, of course, are, um, you know, diamond distribution shutting down for a period of time. Uh, DC announcing that they were going to still continue with some digital releases and that they were going to get comics back into stores even before Diamond uh, started back up via new distributors. Uh, they made that announcement. I don't know if that actually happened, which I actually wanted, what was one of the things I want to, uh, to ask you about. Of course, the even bigger news was that uh, sometime after that, DC uh, fully dropped, they parted ways with Diamond Distribution, um, ending, you know, decades-long, uh, you know, relationship. And uh, and then even more recently, uh, and I know we're saying DC a lot, but uh, DC was really at the heart of a lot of these uh, developments. Uh, you know, there was this massive wave of layoffs and restructuring at uh, at DC, and uh, there was there's been talk of them, you know, kind of cutting back on the on the, the comics line, leaning a little bit more into digital first and uh, some other publishing initiatives. And uh, again, I know we're really just kind of scratching the surface, but uh, fair to say those were sort of the uh, some of the headlines of the past few months. A vast amount of almost weekly changes were happening, happening, happening while there was very serious health stuff going on in, in the world. It was just, a, you know, from our vantage point in the comic shop, it was one thing after the other. It, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was stressful times, but during that time, um, of non-essential shutdown where uh, customers could not come in the store. We were lucky in that uh, we could be here to process mail orders, to make changes around the store, to, to, we could be here to do something. We were very lucky in that aspect because not all stores were able to do that. Some stores you, you couldn't even go to your store, couldn't do anything. But uh, this whole experience really served to bring together an already solid team that we had here, you know, having been here so long, I've been around for many, many different teams. You know, I'm almost like a, I don't really like Martian Manhunter, but he's been a part of many different Justice League teams as like this core character, you know, Batman may come and go, other characters come and go, but this one guy, he's almost always there. But this team that we have now really came together through this experience towards a common goal and that common goal being survival just to be as clear about it as possible common goal of we need to meet certain financial goals through whatever means we can, you know, be it emailing someone, you know, that you haven't talked to in a couple of years because they bought some Marvel team ups from you one time or, you know, having to drive someone's subscriptions to their house and put it, put the comics uh, you know, on, on their doorstep, whatever you have to do. We came up with something. We, we did something. And we were very lucky that we had material to work with. 
there were people that, uh, you know, there was so much support. There, there were people that said, what is your most expensive book in the stores? I want to buy that from you. You know, they, they would contribute in different ways. There were creators that, that stepped up, you know, uh, Sam Humphreys approach and said, let me pay off a couple of pre-order boxes. Maybe there are people that aren't able to, you know, that maybe they're not working. Maybe their situation is, is uh, not such that they can buy comics right now. Let me pay off some boxes. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis did the same thing, paid off several uh, hold boxes for people. Um, There's a point where completely out of the blue, uh, Rob Liefeld sent me a Twitter uh, direct message saying, you know, what's your PayPal? And I was like, why do you ask? And he sold some original drawings and contributed uh, the proceeds directly to us. He did that for several comic book stores, not all comic book stores, obviously, but I don't, I've never known if he, because I've had dinner with him like twice at different San Diego Comic Cons. I don't know if he truly remembers me or not. I have no idea, but he did seek me out specifically and he contributed in a significant way. Like we were, we were hustling, 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 but there was a point where I was like, okay, every success we've had, we sold this statue, we sold this high dollar item. Not one of them could be duplicated. That was a one-time only thing because the item was simply gone. And there came a point where I was like, we're doing okay, but I don't, I don't know where rent's coming from. And then this materialized. Outstanding. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, he equally uh, supported us in a tremendous way. Tremendous, absolutely tremendous way. And due to community support, ideas from the staff, creator support, no one was laid off. Not one bill was laid during this whole thing, which is incredible. It's incredible to me. And I, I was here, I was present for this stuff. And it's just astounding to me that that worked out that way because it wasn't so everywhere for numerous reasons. It wasn't so everywhere, but here we learned that this place can, this place can survive some things. It can survive some things. And, uh, it's just, it's very, it's very humbling. It's extremely humbling. And, and again, the passage of time is weird because most of us were here like every day and every day without new material, it was kind of like the same day, like you're seeing the same stuff. And it's a, uh, it was a weird time, but uh, this place endured with, with a, with tremendous and regular and consistent support. It's, it still is now. I don't know if that answered your question. I think I kind of uh, derailed a little bit. <laughs> in, in typical uh, Lord Retail fashion, but... Uh, Didn't no. I answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, in a way you did. And you, I think you got at something, uh, you know, again, as much as I kind of want to unpack some of these industry developments, you got at something, you got at the heart of something that's even more important. And uh, I'm so glad uh, that Acme has been able to endure the way that it has. And, you know, I've been watching from afar and, you know, we exchanged texts and stuff at various points. And, you know, I saw all of the posts about the, uh, you know, the mail order. And uh, I saw the videos with the Acme Home Shopping Network and, you know, and all that stuff. And I saw stories about, you know, creators doing exactly what you just described. You know, I know other creators did similar things with with other shops as well. And, you know, so again, as, as your friend and as a fan of Acme Comics, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to hear all of that, uh, I think it definitely does speak to the resilience of, of you and your staff and the community there. And, and you know, this extends to other shops as well because, you know, I, it's funny. 
you know, I ended up doing a lot of press for the documentary, like in the midst of all of this. And, you know, inevitably I would get asked about the state of things and, you know, kind of the thing I just kept coming back to based on, you know, what I was seeing and just what I know from, from all of you personally, it's just, I think people are real quick to try to call a time of death on comic shops. But what I've seen and we saw it again, and you just literally, everything you just described really points to this resilience and this ability to adapt and innovate in whatever form it takes. And, uh, you know, so the things that, you know, we've been talking about, like the mail order and the online sales and stuff like that, um, you know, the curbside pickup, I mean, you saw variations of this at, at so many stores. And uh, I, again, I, I really think it speaks to, um, to that ability to adapt and innovate. And that's, that's no small thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to hear all of that. And I would have to imagine, does it sort of reward your, or renew your faith or reward your faith in that, you know, in everything that you do in, in terms of you and your staff, like everyone at Acme, in terms of building these relationships with people who come into the store, you know, week after week, um, you know, the following you've built online with your Tuesday night reviews, like you're putting something out there right on a person to person basis and, and, you know, via the, the, you know, the larger, uh, you know, uh, internet world. Um, and I mean, does it not feel like everything that you just described is sort of like, it's coming back to you, right? Like it's, and I get not to just call it a reward, but it's like, you're putting out something positive and it's being returned to you. I mean, I would have to imagine that feels very gratifying. For me, I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, doing my job and I'm doing the job in the way that I feel it should be done. And so is everybody else. And in doing so, you know, you, you shouldn't be rewarded for doing your job correctly. Right. But then when this type of response happens, you know, my, my reaction is like, wow, we really got to come through for these people that came through for us. That's my initial reaction as opposed to like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's like, all right, we got to come through for these people. We got to be, you know, even more consistent, even more reliable. We got to come through for people because they, in no uncertain terms, they came through for us. I can't be more clear about that. They came through for us when I'm sure any number of them had something going on in their, in their life. Something was disrupted. So, someone close to them, you know, could, could be affected in, in some way of various type, but they still came through for us. But I, and I think it's, you know, it's sort of this, uh, this cycle and I, I think it's a positive one. I mean, I think the reason you got the responses that you did was because of, you know, everything, you know, the store had, had, had done and built and meant to people. And so they wanted to come through for you when they knew it was your time of need. And now you don't take that for granted. You want to turn that right back around and, you know, continue to serve them and, and you know, even in a bigger and better way or however you can. And I think that's, I mean, that's a wonderful thing, you know, um, and that's, you know, I, I, I love, you know, I love to hear that again, not to, not to harp on the negatives during all of this, but I, I mean, I really am curious and I suspect listeners are curious about, and again, we've talked some specifics already, but you know, really about how you navigated this period. And I know you mentioned, you know, it was a fight for survival. I mean, were there any points where you really worried like because I know I talked about you know people can be really pessimistic about shops were there any moments where you really felt like I don't know if we're going to make it through this or did it not get quite that dire um 
I, I will say that sure, any given week it was quite that dire, but it would be a matter of like, okay, this person in Canada wants to buy these transformers they saw on our Instagram. Awesome. Done deal. Like something would materialize or we would come up with some type of idea. Like, you know, let, let's, uh, let's take these items here that we think are pretty cool and put them on the, uh, you know, the Facebook live video to see if anybody wants to uh, call in and buy them. You know, we made people actually call the store like you would call QVC back in the day, like call the hotline and actually talk to one of us um, if you wanted to buy the item. So we would have to continuously come up with something. But again, each time you come up with something, you couldn't do it a second time. So there there would be moments of uh, not. I got nothing. Who's got something? Anybody got something? And eventually something would materialize um, again during time of closure. Uh, the team convinced me to take a room that I've only known to be storage. I've only known this area of the store to be storage. It could be storing this type of item or that type of item, but it's definitely storage. They convinced me to allow them to turn it into a shoppable space. And I didn't really understand what they were talking about, but I said, you know what, go ahead and do it. If we don't like it, we'll just change it back. But they created a new shoppable area in the store, which that, that's crazy. You know, they, they, like uh, they created more land, like Lex Luthor said, they're not, they're not making any new land. They made new land. <laughs> and it's an area where we keep all the old comics, all the 80s comics, all the 60s comics, like all the old stuff. And it's decorated with like, uh, you know, store ephemera from, from over the decades. And it's this new area that a very specific clientele wants to go to. And they're, they're excited to be able to go into this area because they know they're going to see the old stuff. And that's a, that's just a new thing that was generated. It's not that those items weren't here, but it's presented in a new way. That's, that's more functional and, and more result is, is the, the room paid for its paid for itself. Like the, the, uh, the processing and structuring and the, the tiny bit of rebuild, you know, tiny bit of like dropping in a wall here where there wasn't a wall, but I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I, I was incapable of thinking of that idea and I really couldn't even grasp it until it was literally finished. And even then only when I saw a customer utilizing that room, did I really get what they were talking about? Well, you know, knowing when to knowing when to step aside is a skill that not everybody has knowing when to take advice of counsel is a skill. Not everybody has. I like to think that I've got that. I like to think that when the time is right, I know when to, uh, when to stand back. Yeah, no, kudos for, you know, uh, going along with it, giving it a shot, even when you weren't, you know, completely sure what, what the, uh, you know, the, the end game was going to be. Was there anything that any of the staff proposed that you were like, no, we're definitely not doing that? You know what? I think that pretty much everything they suggested went through, which is why we have a, uh, a uh, Marvel superheroes arcade machine <laughs> in the store right now. <laughs> you know, one of those cabinets from Walmart. I was like, sure, why not? You know, let's have something fun in here. And I very rarely play it myself, but you know, kids like it and stuff. So I think that most of the ideas went through and most of the rearrangements have yielded result. It wasn't just a cosmetic thing. It yielded result. Well, you know, I mean, situations like these, as difficult as they can be, they do breed innovation. They breed, you know, just a willingness to take a chance on something, you know, in a very small way. Uh, we, you and I probably wouldn't be doing this episode right now had it not been for the pandemic, because as you know, I've only ever done my podcast with my guests sitting across from me in the same space. 
So like when you were on the show three years ago, it was because I went down to Greensboro and we did it face to face. And I've, that's been my preference and I've done it that way for a number of reasons, but obviously that just wasn't feasible at this point. And so it became, well, do I not podcast until everybody's vaccinated or do I get over this internal roadblock that I have, get over myself and just start, <laughs> just start figuring out how to re- record these things remotely. And uh, I'm so glad that I did. I've done a couple episodes for my for my Patreon, and then this is the first uh, my comic shop history in this new remote era. And you know, I'm I'm loving having this conversation, and it's something that we probably wouldn't be having otherwise. Uh, so I think it's great that you guys were able to, you know, to again not just like hang on, but actually try some new stuff. And I, I you know, so I think that's fantastic. Uh, when Diamond announced that they were so, and and again, you know, we're fo- we're focusing on uh, you know the, the comics industry, but obviously, you know, on top of that, it was just like the you know, of course, dealing with just safety protocols and you know, not being able to have people in the store, or not too many people at one time. So the stuff that like everyone was dealing with, you were dealing with, and then on top of that, you had the complications, the unique complications of of comics retail. When Diamond announced that they were suspending uh, operations for a period of time. I mean, how, I guess, how worried were you at, at that point? Were, were you, cause again, to see some of the headlines on the, the comics news sites, you would, you would think, well, this is it. But did you feel like, well, they'll eventually come back. And in the meantime, we have all this other stuff. We have to find a way to move it. Like where, where did you, what was your outlook at that point? I was, I was relieved to hear that diamond distribution was not going to continue shipping translation, continue billing people weekly. They absolutely would have, had they been able to, they would have just kept sending you stuff. And whether you, you know, again, that goes to the core of a lot of about what your uh, documentary was about. When we have made product uh, product orders, we've purchased all that stuff. Now, if we resell it or not, that is not the concern of Diamond. <laughs> we just bought all that stuff. It's not the concern of Marvel. It's not the concern of hasbro or whatever entity we have bought all that stuff whether we can resell it and then pay for it who knows so i was relieved to hear that they were not going to continue to invoice week after week after week when some stores couldn't be there to even receive the product or conditions were just you didn't know what conditions in your community were you know is are people well are people working you don't know so i was relieved and i was surprised to not hear more of that. I'm surprised to not hear more retailers look at it from that point of view because there were some that said, you know, I'm fine. I don't care. I'm here. Send me stuff. I'm ready to sell, sell, sell. Even though I think it's kind of, that would have been irresponsible. But to hear that Diamond was not going to continue to invoice new product where a couple weeks of unsold product, that, that, could, that could end a store. That could end a store, you know, of a, of a billing week. Three weeks of, of billing and no sales or a fraction of sales, that could end a store real quick, regardless of uh, you know any type of uh, exterior conditions. So I was relieved to hear that Diamond would not be shipping slash invoicing new material. Now, I don't know if they did that out of responsibility to the industry or if maybe something happened in the warehouse where they, they couldn't process things and they therefore told publishers and manufacturers don't send us anything because it's not going anywhere. Don't send anything here because we're not sending it anywhere. We're not billing anybody. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad you said all of that because it's very true. It's like, you know, if you're continuing to, you know, pay for or get billed for a product and receive product that you, you can't sell because you can't have people come into your store, you know, or, or anything else that was going on. I mean, that, you know, makes a bad situation even worse. So, and yeah, the, the sense of relief that you describe, I don't know that I saw a ton of that, uh, you know, again, as far as, and, and I guess that doesn't make for as, uh, as sexy a headline, you know, on the, on the comics news sites and things like that. But that was actually one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, <laughs> because I feel like the view towards comics retail from some of the more vocal retailers, and I don't even have, I'm not, I'm not even naming anybody, but I just, you know, some of the people who you often see quoted in like a bleeding cool article for, for example, but that the attitude among, you know, certain retailers and, um, and again, this, I think does get played up you know, a lot of times in the comics press because it's a, it's a clickable headline, but I feel like the view is, is often a pessimistic one. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel that as well? I don't know if that pessimism is unwarranted because I'm sure for many stores in the way they perhaps operate and, and exist, maybe it did seem like it was going to be the end for them. You know, not every store is capable of innovating and not just because they couldn't think of an idea. There's certain things that you, the idea just wouldn't work just for how your customer base or your community works. So I'm not faulting anyone for, for, you know, okay, why couldn't you, you know, move this direction to that direction? Sometimes it's just not possible to, to pivot. And I think for some entities, maybe it did seem like, this was the end or this is the time to get out of the comics business because there were some stores that, that didn't make it through this. Not all stores survived this. That is true. No, I mean, that's no, that, you know, fair enough. Uh, you know, I mentioned DC a few times and I, I really do want to pick your brain about, uh, you know, some of these recent developments. I do, I do just want to clarify cause I, I, um, I, I just need to double check this. So after, you know, diamond shut, you know, ceased operation or, you know, suspended operations. And then they announced a return date. But around that time, DC came forward and, you know, basically said, we're going to get books back into stores before Diamond is back up and running. And they announced that they were doing this via uh, these new distributors, uh, Lunar and, and UCS, which they ended up moving to completely later on. But there was that period in between where it was like, well, we'll, we'll you can get our stuff through Diamond again when they resume or you can get them earlier via these new distributors. Um, so I know they announced that. Did that actually happen? Like that they started shipping at that point through those other distributors? I recall there being a period of time where the presentation was, you can get with these two new distributors, depending on what region you're in. They didn't really have an answer for like Canada and the UK. Didn't really have an answer for those guys. But as far as US accounts, you can get with this distributor for this region, this other distributor for this region or whatever you feel like you want to work with, or you can stick with diamond and get things through diamond. Anyway, there came a point though, where nothing new will be from diamond. So if you are carrying DC product, then you must create an account with one of these two new entities. And of course, retailers being the uh, de detectives that, that we are, you know, peeling back exactly one layer of, of mystery. It turns out these two new distributors are, of course, not new at all. One distributor is, in reality, Midtown Comics. The other distributor, in reality, is DCBS, the online uh, deep discounter. Right. 
So, you know, having to set up a new account, uh, reveal business information and sales information and, and just various data, your comic book orders, you know, being the least of that to, I guess, two of the biggest, your biggest competitors as a comic book retailer. If you have sold out of an item, your customer may, hopefully they'll wait for you to get more. That's awesome. That, that is the best scenario. They'll wait for you to get more. But customers going to go to eBay, Midtown Comics. They might, they probably won't look at DCBS, but they'll definitely look at eBay or Midtown Comics for that same item. Now, if someone is trying to, if someone, they don't have a comic book store or they don't like their comic book store, or they're strictly about you know, deep discount, deep discount, then they might look to DCBS as opposed to their local, you know, comic shop who has to, you know, employ people and keep lights on, et cetera, et cetera. And, and can't, they can't undercut even further their product. Everything has a cost. Everything has a shipping cost. There's cost, cost, cost on all the items. Even if the item is only $3.99, there, there's cost all over the place. But those two new distributors that you had to, if you wanted to carry DC product, were actually those entities, which that's a little like, mm, not sure, not sure. And I do know of a couple of stores, well, actually more than a couple. I know of a few stores that don't offer DC product anymore, which is, that's just crazy to have to be in a position where you have to say to yourself, is it financially viable as far as, you know, literally my resources and processing time in my life to incorporate a whole other process to be able to carry this one type of thing. Do I want to do that or not? And some stores chose not to offer DC, which that's, that's just a, I can't imagine that. That just seems like that's odd. That's real odd. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we had been talking about this, this sort of in-between period, you know, because again, and again, if you're following the comics industry, you probably know this, but, you know, again, DC would ultimately completely drop diamond and only distribute their, their single issue comics through Lunar and UCS, AKA <laughs> DCBS and then Midtown. But, uh, you know, so, but we had this in-between period, but then they ultimately, you know, dropped them completely. But during that in-between period, did you, did you set up accounts at that point or you just waited until Diamond was back up and running? Um, there was a, there was a period of time where you did have material still flowing from Diamond. Um, I don't know if they already had it sitting in the warehouse or what that, what allowed that to be possible? I don't know, but there did come a point where if you didn't already have an account set up and this did happen to some stores where you wouldn't have DC product, you were going to be missing issues. You're going to be missing issues. And it seems to me that, and uh, some other podcasts have lightly talked about this, which is terribly interesting. I think that I don't know if DC material is being printed to order right now, because it's not always possible to just reorder a thing. If there's an omnibus that came out or, or, you know, omnibus hardcover or something, you can't always decide you want some more of that. More often than not, it's backordered. And I don't really know of many of those backorders to, to fill. So it's more critical than normal that if you do pre-order with your store to kind of let them know, especially with graphic novels in mind, if you get this item, I want to buy it from you. It's more important now than ever. You know, if you want that DC who's who 
uh, character encyclopedia omnibus, do let the store know that you're expecting that because if you decide that day, oh, I heard this came out. Can you get that for me? The answer might be no, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, so I don't know if this era will have some type of like scarcity or something. I, I can't think that far in the future, but I do know that people from other regions have come to our store saying that I haven't been able to find the last four issues of Batman. What's going on? Let me buy all four of them from you. And we don't really account for that happening when we do our orders. We can't account for that happening. So, but it has happened where people uh, seem like they've missed things uh, along the way. Interesting. I want to unpack a little bit more about DC's ultimate move away totally from Diamond and their utilization of these other distributors because when that news broke, you know, I saw there were some on social media, you know, almost cheering, right? Like, oh, the diamond reign, you know, is over. I saw a little bit of that. But from from my perspective, uh, and I, I, you know, it was kind of an education for me, you know, a couple of years ago on the podcast, uh, I spent some time kind of researching Heroes World and, and kind of why it was such an issue in the mid-90s when, you know, Marvel purchased Heroes World and made it their exclusive distributor and all of the fallout from that. And it seemed like similar issues could arise here where, again, you know, for anyone who's, you know, not uh, not aware of, of exactly how this works, but, you know, a retailer's discount rate is tied to how much they order. So, you know, when you have one distributor and you're ordering everything through that one distributor, if you're ordering a lot, you know, you have a larger discount. Like by the time alternate realities closed, our discount was you know, over 50%. Um, but if you are forced to split your order among multiple distributors, then you're ordering less from each one and you, you would you know, presumably have a lower discount rate. And at the same time, uh, you are having books shipped from multiple sources. So your shipping costs are going to go up. And then on top of all of this, we have what you just described where these two new distributors are really just, uh, <laughs> you know, aliases for shops, online competitors. So there was a lot of stuff going on there. And then the, the, the cherry on top of this was, you know, the timing of everything, like stores were just getting back on their feet, you know, being able to, to have people in the store, you know, again, depending where you are in the country, but, you know, stores being able to have people in the store to a limited extent, you know, product is starting to flow again. And then it's like, oh, hey, if you want our product now, you can't get it from Diamond anymore. You have to set up a whole new system. You have to put in multiple orders. I mean, it just seemed like it didn't have the retailer's best interests at heart. I mean, that was my, I, that was my view on it as someone watching it and kind of thinking about how we might have viewed it at our store if we were still in operation. But I mean, what, what was your reaction to it? There was an element of what's it going to be this week? What's it going to be this week? Um, there's just, there's, I, I try to go easy on armchair retailer advice from people. I try to go easy on that because I, on the one hand, I don't, I don't expect or really want a comic book fan that just enjoys like the latest Justice League to, you know, I don't expect them to know the inner workings of things or to know that, you know, there's a shipping cost involved in the book they just picked off the shelf. I don't expect that at all. But, you know, there is a lot of, you know, well, down with Diamond because you've heard probably from your store that, you know, Diamond did this, Diamond did that. Don't care for Diamond. That doesn't come from nowhere. 
That doesn't come from nowhere. And you know, the diamond is not perfect. Diamond is sure. far, far from perfect. But at this point, to say that things are haphazard to be the second most major and most well-known publisher of comic books that there is, um, that's kind of an understatement. It, it's uh, I think we've kind of gotten used to a few things. Um but very recently, there are stores that uh, didn't get their weekly shipment yet. There are stores that are still waiting for books from two weeks ago to arrive. And customer service kind of isn't a thing. Um, there are processes at Diamond where you could actually speak to someone. There's something you could do to get to someone and hopefully get an issue solved. But there's kind of not really anybody you can talk to that's not just going to say, you know, have you tried restarting it? Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Just very basic level of uh, interaction if an issue pops up. Um, DC recently shuttered their uh, Facebook retailer group. I saw you post about that, yeah. uh, That's gone. So there isn't really a direct conversation with a retailer and someone representing DC Comics. Now, there are other groups where all publishers are but that's kind of creating a situation where all publishers can see what problems you might be having with another publisher. And that just doesn't sound, that doesn't sound uh, like such a good way to, to, uh, to be either. It just seems like there's a distance being created for unknown reason between DC and their quote unquote retailer partners. When you talk about retailer partners, boom studios, and retailers, they're partners. We make this stuff. You guys carry and represent this stuff. We'll keep making cool stuff. Give some feedback. What do we need to do? That's some type of partnership. That's not exactly the case with DC. It just seems a little more antagonistic. And when you say DC, I don't think that anybody there had any control over anything. When you say DC, you're really saying Warner Brothers. Maybe you're really saying AT&T. I don't claim to know where the changes are coming from. I don't know where the changes are coming from. The arbitrary changes. Don't know where they're coming from, but I don't think it's anybody at DC Comics is in a position to really change anything or it's like outwardly. I'm sure there's things they can't talk about or they can't warn or they can't say anything, but I don't think there's anybody at DC Comics specifically that's like, had enough of these retailers interfering with our plans. They've done it for the last time. I don't think that's what it is. I think there may be some sort of middleman in some type of struggle. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, you're, you know, your point is a good one. And you're actually, you were a step ahead of me because I was going to play devil's advocate a little bit, uh, you know, on behalf of DC, because I agree it is easy to, you know, kind of look at everything that they've done and, and, you know, kind of throw your hands up and be like, you know, what's, what's going on here. But you know, they're facing their own corporate reckoning and, and, you know, they have their, you know, their AT&T overlords. And yes, I'm sure the bottom line and, and the directives from, you know, from AT&T are, are driving a lot of this stuff. So I'm sure, you know, they're in a tough spot. And, you know, again, I mentioned this earlier, but I mean, you know, the waves of layoffs at DC. So, you know, a lot of, and you know, individual people who, you know, are, are out of jobs there. So, you know, I know it's a, a tough time in a in a number of different areas, um, but again, it just felt like you know for for the shops it was a lot uh, to to kind of add to their plate on top of what was already going on. You know, if if you don't want to pull back the curtain too far, that's perfectly fine. But I guess my my quick general general question is, 
the stuff that I laid out as what seemed to be the concerns about moving away from diamond, you know, the, the lower discount rate, the increased shipping cost, you know, basically having to share all of your information with, with your competitors, the increased workflow of, um, you know, of, of the ordering process now. I mean, are, have these been playing out for you? Like these, the things that people cited as, well, these are going to be problems. Like, have they been issues or, or maybe it's kind of been secondary to everything else that's going on? We're able to adjust pretty quickly. We're able to adjust pretty quickly to things. Um, you know, once we were able to actually get an account set up, we had an account set up. Some of the things that they requested as far as like make these uh, documents slash information available to us, that varies from state to state where they would ask for a type of thing that maybe in your state you can't produce it because it doesn't exist. Um, oh, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but so uh, am I correct that whether you use Lunar or UCS, is that based on what part of the country? No, you can select you whichever pick, one. You pick. Um, I do know of at least one store that kind of worked with both to see what the differences were. And there are differences. Um, Lunar, there is UCS. There's a phone number you can call, or at least there used to be. I think maybe now you have to work with a little, uh, you know, like message window that pops up, but Lunar, there was no phone number. If you need to call someone, that's not a thing you can do for a major publisher of items. There's not a number you can call and say, hey, all these items were damaged or I didn't get any of these items here. Let me speak to someone. You can't call. And that's just like, that's as basic as it sounds. You can't call. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Uh, you know, um, just going back to Diamond for a second, you know, because you mentioned that, you know, the, some of the negativity towards Diamond, you know, it comes from somewhere and, you know, you're not wrong and, you know, among the you know common complaints about diamond you know missing books damaged books things like that the thing that i heard the most when i was going around with the podcast less so with the documentary but more so with the podcast was uh high turnover in reps in diamond reps or not having a rep for a long period of time Uh, i heard that from you know a few different people um but you know I, i guess it's all relative and so you know now to be in a situation where like you really can't talk and i'm sorry maybe i miss this but which which one are are you guys working with um we have ucs okay which is uh you know comes out of new york city basically and i don't know if i don't know if these entities were chosen because they have warehousing capability i don't know if that's what it was um I don't know how much storing of product they're able to do because I don't know how much overprinting there that's going on where they are literally storing, you know, diamond has a massive warehouse. Like I've, I've seen the thing. It, it's like a, it's like the death star in there. I'm pretty sure I saw like the, uh, you know, shuttle Tidarium parked over there somewhere, but it's huge. And some of these other entities, I don't know if they have the sheer space to hold material. I, I don't know if they just have to receive it and get it gone, receive it, get it gone. I, I have no idea of how that works at all. Um, to a larger issue that, you know, I'm always thinking ahead, thinking possibilities and whatnot. If I'm not mistaken, by December, everything DC that is at diamond distribution, as far as like, you know, cases of Watchmen graphic novels and just like stuff, everything DC related has to then leave Diamond, I don't know where it goes. I don't know, does it go to UCS? Does Lunar get an allotment of, say, you know, Death of Superman paperbacks? I don't know if they have space for it. I don't know where that material goes. What I do know is that there could be a period of time where 
maybe there's not a vehicle to order, say, V for Vendetta. You know, Watchmen's not a good example because I'm pretty sure they're, they're going to make sure Watchmen is, is around. But, you know, if you want, say, uh, Orion by Walt Simonson Volume 2, I think that could quietly be out of print and we don't know it. No, I get what you're saying. Uh, you had also mentioned this idea of uh, partnership between the retailers and the publishers. And I know that language is often used by, by publishers and talking about the shops. I mean, literally, you know, I was at that, that uh, diamond retailer breakfast uh, at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago where I tagged along with Steve Odo and we watched the, the various publisher presentations. And, uh, you know, the word partner gets thrown around. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that at least in some instances with certain publishers, that, that proves true. I mean, that's wonderful. But, you know, as an, as, as an audience member sitting there, you know, you kind of figure, all right, this is, you know, they're, they're presenting. There's some spin going on here, you know. Uh, and so I guess you, you kind of always wonder exactly where, where you stand. And I wonder, I don't know if this question will really make sense, but is there almost some sense with DC, is there almost some sense of, of relief where, you know, in the past it's like, well, they call us their partners. Maybe we are. <laughs> But then like something like this happens and you maybe kind of realize, well, no, we really are not their partners. And at least I know that <laughs> like, because it's one thing, I mean, it's, you know, look, as I think we're, you know, we're, we're all aware, you know, words are one thing, but it's the actions that, uh, that, that speak the loudest. And, you know, and again, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a store. I don't work at a store now. So, you know, maybe you feel differently, but I, you know, it just seems like, I don't know that I would feel like their partner at this point in time after everything that's transpired. I think that there are, again, I bring up boom studios regular. I do feel like as far as talking about a partnership and actually presenting and carrying themselves with retailers in a way that you feel like, okay, we're in this together. They're going to make something cool. We're going to offer something cool to the public that they can buy from us with, with reliability you kind of feel like, okay, that's some type of partnership is going on here. Some type of symbiosis is going on symbiosis, but this DC thing, it's just, it's just bizarre. It's almost to a laughable, like, what are they going to do this week degree? You know, with Marvel comics, they don't, Marvel comics are not returnable. Like top to bottom, you have to be very confident in what you feel like you can sell. You're going to order too much and get burned or you're not going to have enough and you're going to be caught in a reprint cycle forever. You're always going to be offering a second printing, a third printing forever. But at least you kind of know that's what it is. You kind of know that's what it is. Marvel is making this thing that you can buy from them and then you can sell it. But with this thing that DC has done, it just seems like there's more and more things occurring that's kind of broken that illusion of, of partnership. If, if that was an illusion, you know, there are periods, cause I, I've been around long enough where everybody loved Bob Wayne. I didn't really love Bob Wayne. And I'm sure you've never heard anybody say that. Everybody's like, Bob Wayne's the best. He understood retailers used to be one. I, re I respect the guy with his absence and the way that things have uh, unfolded to this degree with his absence, definitely noticed, definitely noticed. But uh, I think that the fact that an entity like Bob Wayne or even Paul Levitz to a degree doesn't exist in that structure, that there's more 
more aspect of what do we need these, you say comic book stores, they still exist. What, what do we need them for? Somebody, somebody explain to me why we need these guys, quote unquote, these guys. I feel like more of that's going on. Do you feel, cause I was, you know, as, as we kind of wind down here, you know, uh, I have a couple of Patreon questions, but they, they, they sort of get at this idea. So actually maybe let's, uh, Let's kind of go through, uh, you know, some of our, our patrons, they have the opportunity to uh, submit a question to be asked on the air. And, and uh, this really ties in with what we're talking about here. Uh, so uh, Cornelius, one of our patrons, uh, he wanted me to ask you uh, whether the shutdown and just this, this general uh, period over these past few months, um, did it highlight any issues about running the comic shop? I guess, like, did it did it bring to light anything that maybe, you know, might have been an issue that... Uh, wasn't readily apparent before, but like everything that's been going on, like really, really brought it to the forefront. Was there anything like that, that, that happened? And if not, that's fine, but this could be more of like a lightning round type thing. That's a great question. And it is astonishing to me that people are asking me questions. That's uh, incredible. Um, I think that something that you learn is your outreach. Are people looking at your Facebook post? are people opening their email that they get once a week from us because there would be some cases where we actually went through the process because we, we made a determination. We said we're going to call manually or email or contact in some way, every pre-order customer we have. And that's over, it's over 400 people. We're going to make some type of contact with each of these people to let them know what we're able to do to let them know that uh, new comics aren't flowing. So they're not like, Oh no, I have weeks worth of stuff. I haven't bought. We want to make some type of contact with people. And through that process, you do learn, you know, maybe there's some people that they don't, they don't know what goes on here. They don't get any of your information. And I've started to kind of ask that of people more recently, Hey, how do you find out when something is happening here? Just to get what their responses, because I kind of want to, I want to begin to move away from Facebook for multiple reasons and get more news events, more content directly on our website. I think that's a priority that I want to start early. I, I hear you. There. I hear you about wanting to move away from Facebook. I guess that's a whole other discussion, but I, I I'm with you on that for sure. Uh, we also have a couple questions from Steve that these kind of, um, kind of go hand in hand and also tie into, uh, you know, I guess kind of what you were just getting at and what I sort of want to end on about the continued role of comic shops and need for comic shops. Uh, so Steve asked if you had any thoughts on the recent developments with the DC app, um, which as I'm sure you, you're aware, right, all of the film and television content is moving over to HBO Max and the DC app will be a strictly, uh, it'll be a digital comics library like Marvel Unlimited but I think that kind of ties into the last piece of his question, which is um, the the layoffs at DC. How will the fallout from that affect the retail level? And again, just sort of tying this all together, you know, when we talk about the the firings and the restructuring at DC, uh, you know, hand in hand with that is you know what you know Jim Lee has talked about in interviews, where you know the idea is to kind of scale back the number of monthly titles that that DC is publishing. And also lean into, you know, digital firsts and digital exclusives. Uh, and I think other publishing initiatives sort of designed toward getting comics and graphic novels, you know, into the hands of a different audience, it seems. I mean, I think what we saw with Walmart, you know, in, in, the, in the recent past is, is kind of uh, an example of, of the direction 
that he's sort of talking about. And, uh, and so I guess that kind of ties in with what you were just saying about like, what is the role of the comic shop? Cause I guess with the, with these things that DC is implementing, it seems like, you know, they're not as focused on the direct market on the comic shops. I mean, do you get that sense from that? What's been going on? It seems that way, but again, it all comes down to, I think that knowing, knowing your customer is important, you know, putting, comic books into Walmart. Yes, that sounds good on paper, but when one person buys all 10 copies of the Batman book to sell it online to someone, that that's not that's not it. That that wasn't it. That, that's that's a mission failure. Yes, product moves, but it sold to one person who then sold it at a markup to who knows who. That, that's not that's not the process, you know. I think that putting putting more stuff in Barnes and Noble just to pull a name out of the air. There's not going to be someone in Barnes and Noble that maybe says, Hey, read DC rebirth before you read doomsday clock. That process probably isn't going to happen. There may be a comic book person there. There might be, but that aspect might not happen. There's no one that will be a stronger advocate for your product than the comic book store. Right. Well, believe me, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. And certainly for people, you know, who have followed the show, I mean, I think, you know, they, they know what a good shop and a good retailer can do and why, you know, shops have a place and will, you know, and not hopefully will continue to have a place, but I guess sort of the, how do I formulate this question? You know, I guess the gut reaction to these DC moves, right, is to kind of feel, I think, and I think rightfully that, again, they're not catering specifically or exclusively to the direct market, but that they have their eye on a wider audience. But I guess my question is, I mean, obviously, if they're if they're publishing less monthly comics, that, that affects the stores directly, right, because that's less to sell. But at the same time, maybe it's an opportunity to push some independent titles or, or something like that. But, I, but even beyond that, what I really want to ask is, uh, is, you know, focusing on the digital comics or the Walmarts or the Barnes and Noble, whatever form that takes, does that necessarily take away anything from, from the comic shop? Or is it the case that, well, maybe those avenues are going to reach someone who wouldn't necessarily come into a comic shop, turn them on to comics, and then when they need that guidance that they can't get from a digital library or a Walmart, they'll take that step. To, and again, that probably sounds like a, I'm a cockeyed optimist. I don't know that that would happen, no, but is not, there at least not, the not potential not for that? I, I think that, you know, when uh, when DC first talked about doing day and date digital, meaning that, you know, when the print copy is available, the digital copy is available the same day, I was at a retailer meeting where, you know, the, the torches and pitchforks were, you just were materialized. And I think that, Digital is the new spinner rack. Digital is where you're going to sample a thing. You know, you check out this new song that came out. Maybe you like put this game in your phone real quick and, oh, there's something happening in a Batman book. Let me see what a Batman book even looks like right now. Digital is your new spinner rack to sample out in the world. You got to put, you have to represent your material everywhere. You can't, you kind of can't just have your stuff isolated in one place. You can't only see Spider-Man in this one particular location. You have to see Spider-Man everywhere. Now, Spider-Man is video games, movies, comic books, Spider-Man, action figures. It's a lot of different stuff. You kind of have to have it seen 
in multiple places. But I think that some of the moves that DC has made to make it more difficult, more time consuming, more stressful to offer their product that has given other publishers a, a chance to make themselves available in a space that maybe would have been occupied by Aquaman or would have been occupied, occupied by wonder woman or would have been occupied by a black label, uh, album size, uh, uh, issue, you know, they've made it. So boom studios, et cetera, et cetera, even Marvel, you know, I, I, I literally said to Marvel during all this stuff, don't do anything crazy and you're going to be just fine. Don't, don't do anything crazy. And I think that one of the things they did is they, they like auto cancel a few books, like automatically like Hawkeye is over. It was going to be five parts. You're getting forward the end. No goodbye. No, no, nothing. Just no fifth issue. We're going to put out the graphic novel with everything though. And I kind of said, you know, to do that, that kind of, that kind of undermines confidence that when you offer a series, you're actually going to complete a series you put a graphic novel out with one new comic in it, you're kind of penalizing people that bought the issues. Like, don't really think about that one. And I'm not saying I had anything to do with that at all, at all, at all. But they went ahead and released and completed some of those series in issue form. And I think that was, again, Marvel not, don't do anything crazy right now. And everything will be okay. After this podcast comes out, I can see the headlines. Lord Retail of Greensboro's Acme Comics saves (laughs) Hawkeye. (laughs) That is not so. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt saved Hawkeye. They they did that themselves. But, uh, But, no, I love, I I think it's great to hear. And I think this, you know, we've been talking for a while and I want to, I want to let you go and, and, but kind of winding down here, I think that's, that's a good note to end on because, and I guess this has become somewhat of a theme, right? You're talking about, you know, navigating these very difficult months, but, you know, finding new things, um, new, new sales initiatives, new, new sections of the store. Uh, and, and similarly here too, with these DC moves, there's also opportunity. And what you said echoes something that uh, came up. I've been doing these Patreon episodes with Sean Hendricks of Fat Moose Comics. And we talked about this exact thing about DC publishing less and, you know, rather than it necessarily being this huge negative that, well, I have less DC comics to sell, his view was, because his the type of dynamic that he has is, um, is similar to yours in the sense that uh, he knows his customers, he knows their tastes, and if he says to them, hey, I know, I really think you'll like this, most of his customers will, will they'll try it, the, you know, they'll try it based on his recommendation, which I know is a similar dynamic that you have with, with a lot of your folks. And so his, his view was sort of like, well, I'm, I, have, I have all this other stuff that I can push, all these independent titles. And yes, you might have some customers who look at it as, you know, okay, DC's putting out less books that I would normally get. I'm going to save that money or, you know, I'm going to buy whatever with it. But you might get others who kind of say like, well, I, you know, I, I like reading comics every week and I sort of have, whether it's a certain amount that I want to spend or a certain number of comics or a certain amount of time that I want to spend reading comics per week. And so if there's a few less DC books, well, I'm just going to fill that with something else. And you are there to, you know, to sort of guide them to that. So, you know, hopefully uh, this, you know, again, ends up being more of an opportunity than, than a detriment. I I think there is an opportunity for stores to really get creative. You know, if you are, if you have all seven parts of Final Crisis just sitting in your back stock, put all seven parts in your bag, put one price on it, put it on the shelf. Take what you already have 
look around, see what you already have and find some way to utilize what you already have. You know, um, a few things happened here during all this. I kind of hadn't accounted for in that new people moved to the area and wanted to set up subscriptions. You know, I don't know if, the, if their work maneuvers were set up months in advance and that was kind of like, okay, regardless of what's happening, I'm still committed to moving to this new area for work. Work still exists for me and I've got to move and I want to make sure that I'm not missing any of my comic books. I hadn't anticipated that happening at all. Um, our subscriber numbers are a little, they're higher. Like we just added a new person today. I hadn't really accounted for that happening. I really thought there'd be like, okay, we have to prepare for prepare for the worst. Now I'm not saying that there may not be some people with items on hold that their circumstances have changed. And I don't know that that's entirely possible, but there has been positive growth in, in, in ways that I hadn't really anticipated, but I think it's partly due to us being open to change. I think that uh, product diversification was important here in that we have old comics, we have new comics, we have action figures, we have transformers specifically, like there are different items that will motivate a person to action. That's not just the one type of item. Um, again, there were, were people that have never set foot in the store that have set up subscriptions with us that we do regular mail orders to people that have never been here before simply because they saw us online during the, Hey, you know, support your comic book store, check in with your comic book store. They found us. They liked how we did our thing. And there are people we've never seen before that we interact with and do business with on a weekly basis. It, it's a, uh, it's amazing. It's new. We're not out of ideas yet. Um, yeah, this is a, uh, Interesting times, and uh, I think that it has. We've learned. We've learned a lot through this. We've learned a lot through this. Well, I could not be happier that you and the Acme crew are punching, still punching. Uh, I am in your corner always. This really, uh, I, I like. I said I was really looking forward to doing this, and it's been a pleasure catching up with you and getting your take on this stuff. I hope that people enjoyed it. You know, I thank you, you know, to everyone who who listened. Again, I know we've been off for a while, so, you know, thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Extra special thanks, I guess, to anyone who's listening uh, when this episode releases, because I'm putting it out the same day that New York Comic Con starts all of its uh, virtual programming. Again, not to antagonize, but, you know, anyone who is uh, choosing to spend their time with us, especially during these New York Comic Con days, boy, I really do appreciate it. Jermaine, uh, for people who want to connect with you and Acme Comics, what are the best ways for them to do that? Um, if you kind of want to hear my take on a few of the Wednesday new releases the night before, no spoilers, just a little, hey, if you like this art or you know, read this before that, you can find me on Twitter under at Lord Retail. Um, if you want to see interesting comic books that come across my desk or cool places I found to eat on Instagram. I'm Lord Jermaine Redale. Um, our website for the store is acmecomics.com. Every week we're going to have a detailed list of new releases. There'll be links to pictures. There'll be a little bit of description if we have it to kind of let you know a little bit more information about what the item is before you're in the store making a decision about it. And even if you don't live in the area, you can still look at anywhere and utilize that information for when you go to your store, wherever that may be. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're around. Acme Comics is around, and uh, we're not going anywhere. 
Well said. Uh, Acme is one of the best. Uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this and, and Acme is your shop, you know, you really know this. Uh, but if you watch the documentary, you got to see Acme in action. Uh, and, and obviously all this time that we spent with Lord Retail on the podcast, I think you've gotten a sense of, you know, what, what he puts into the store along with the rest of the team there. Uh, and actually, you, you really came through for me big time. Uh, I needed a Superman trade. I've been tracking down the Superman by decade trade paperbacks. Uh, a few of them are, or most of them are out of print, I think, at this point. Uh, and you, you had uh, Superman in the 70s, which I needed. And you and I, I bought it online and you mailed it to me. The packing job could not, could not have asked for more. came in perfect condition. So I thank you very much for that. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Um, people have reached out to say, hey, do you have this item? You know, they could click add to cart, get it that way, but they've reached out to different comic book stores, including this one, to say, hey, do you store that I know have this item and can you get it to me? And that's uh, that's pretty cool. Exactly. So, you know, I really do hope that uh, that everyone enjoyed this. This is certainly not the end of my comic shop history, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more in a second, but... This is kind of my coda to covering comics retail. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about what I might want to do with the show moving forward. And I put the call out on social media. And, you know, of course, people were quick to say, well, you know, obviously you have to obviously, you know, you have to cover comics in the time of covid, essentially. And I like to think that we did a, a nice thorough job with that in this episode. But as far as, you know, kind of big picture moving forward, um, you know, I have to listen to the truth of my heart and kind of go where my passion lies. And I don't, you know, as much as I always remain in the in the corner of shops and I'm here to help in any way. And, and honestly, Jermaine, if you're ever like, hey, I want to come on the show and talk about this or something happened in the industry, you got to cover it. You have an open, open invitation here. But uh, for me, I kind of want to take the show in a little bit of a different direction, a little bit more intimate and personal. And so over the course of the next year, uh, we're going to be running the longer Halloween, and that's longer with an AR. So it's a little bit of a takeoff on the on Batman, the long Halloween. Um, what it's going to be is a series of monthly episodes. Each episode, I'm going to be celebrating a different, uh, you know, a holiday with a different member of the alternate realities gang. So it's kind of going to be my way of catching up with with my old friends. And, you know, especially in these dark times, I think it'll be a little bit of a uh, fun, light, comfort listening uh, for everyone. So uh, actually the first episode of that starts in two weeks on Wednesday, October 21st. And October 21st is also the series premiere of my Superman podcast, Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey, which I could not be more excited about. Uh, So those are both coming uh, in two weeks. But uh, Jermaine, really, thank you again so much, my friend. Uh, It was great catching up. I wish you and Acme, um, you know, nothing but the best. And I look forward to whenever it might be <laughs> the next time that, uh, that I can visit you in person or maybe get you up, get you up this way. I would like to travel some more. I would like to travel some more, um, than I have lately. And, uh, I'm not done with stories for you. I have more stories for you. So when the time is right, we will have more things to talk about. All right. I love it. Well, thank you, Jermaine. Thank you to everyone for listening. Again, be back here in two weeks for part one of The Longer Halloween. And until then, as always, don't be a flat squirrel.